started as any other day. They only want me for my blimp juice. I think I'm about to let it loose. Let it loose. Let it loose, mob. How my blimps and hoes feeling out there? Say, yeah. Yeah. All the ladies say, yeah. Thank you. And Matt Council, how you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. Oh, me too. If you can't tell, me too. I'm feeling high in the sky. Me too, blimp daddy. High on life, that is. And I'm Josh, blazed and blessed, speaking of. Dr. Love Beats is off today. He's folding his dishes tonight. Today we discuss how sometimes blimping ain't easy, baby. Standing in the rain at Lakehurst Naval Air Station, a crowd of reporters, grounds crew, and bystanders awaited the arrival of the great airship Hindenburg. It was May 6, 1937, and the Hindenburg was completing its first transatlantic crossing of the year. However, the crowd of reporters on hand was smaller than usual. The Great Zeppelin had made 10 trips to the U.S. in 1936, making this a somewhat ho-hum affair. Ho-hum. Ho-hum. So they're just humming along. That, along with the poor weather and the fact that the airship was 12 hours behind its anticipated time of arrival, led a number of reporters to pack it in and maybe go to New York for some drinks. But those who remained at Lakehurst would witness one of the most incredible and horrifying spectacles of the 20th century. Like a certain doomed luxury ship before it, the spectacular demise of the Hindenburg and the uncertainty as to why it happened continues to fascinate people to this day. This is the story of the Sky-Tanic. We're comparing this to the the Titanic. It's like the Titanic in the sky. Nice, I like that. Mm -hmm. Okay, I don't know much about this. I'm excited about it. Long before the invention of the airplane, man first took to the skies in hot air balloons. The continuous development of lighter-than-air vehicles over the course of the 19th century would lead to the creation of the airship, or dirigible. I saw that word. I didn't know. I just assumed it was the same as, like, an airship. So it's like an elongated balloon capable of navigating under its own power. So so they first came up, and this is in, like, the 1700s with hot air balloons. It's just, like, what we still have today. Yeah. And then eventually they started making them like long, like cigar shaped. And that allowed them to like guide them and like, you know, navigate through the sky. Whereas a balloon just kind of floats around. Yeah. And so <laughs> that's kind of, that's, that's when that's, I think the, what a dirigible is broadly speaking. It's a broad term. Yeah. And for it, that kind of balloon. But these things can go higher than hunter balloons. Much higher. Um, I think so. Maybe. Okay. So, you know, you already know how, you already know how dangerous hot air balloons are. You, you got a grounds crew right. untying them, holding on for their lives. Well, these are way, way bigger, too. Yeah. They would take off. You would be holding on, and you would just it like would the guy in Israel. But this allowed people like to to navigate through the sky, whereas balloons, you're just kind of subject to the wind. You know? Yeah. Which That's what I don't like about hot air balloons. You can't right. control where you're going. That's what I'm thinking, too. And you really can't control where you're going, and you're blowing hot air into a, like I said— Last week into fabric doesn't seem safe, right? And it's not like a rigid um, structure. It's it is not. So yeah, they are not rigid. If you blow a hole in that some bitch, it's done. It is done. Yeah. Even if you don't blow well, a even fire a, hole even a rigid it. one, if you if it starts burning, sure. uh, it's, oh it's yeah, done. Well, we'll, the, we'll, yeah. we'll cover that. <laughs> yeah, especially if you've seen this video. This is nuts. It is but, crazy. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we will get there. Um, so around the turn of the century, uh, the rigid airship was developed as we're talking about, oh, look uh, at that. Look at it that. was developed by, I think his name was Friedrich, Friedrich Zeppelin, oh, okay. um, in okay. Germany. Uh, this type of airship had a rigid framework to give it its shape rather than the pressure of its lifting gas, giving it its shape like in a traditional yeah. non-rigid or semi-rigid balloon. Yep. Um, the Germans in particular excelled in the advancement of rigid airships and even utilized them for some of the first aerial bombings of cities in World War One, And um, I've seen like a, some crazy paintings and stuff of like uh, German airships going over London in like 1915, mm-hmm. and they dropped bombs on them. 
And it's just kind of crazy. Oh, I didn't know that. They but. did. The Germans did that <laughs> as well. It didn't really do a whole lot because you can't, they couldn't load that much. And um, eventually the English started shooting them down, but it's just oh, yeah. crazy. One, one bullet hole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like shoot it down. That was it. And I, uh, in, research, in, in researching this, in uh, looking at pictures in the video of this, uh, every time I saw it, every time I saw it over like a stadium or, where, or over the city, it looks completely fake. It's like somebody just fucking it does. Drew it, it, look, there. It, it looks it looks fake and but and and from witness accounts of it, it was really incredible because it just seemed to defy the laws of physics. Like people look at it, it just doesn't even look like it should fly because it's this big yeah. cylinder, this big cylinder, this big like silver metallic cylinder just up in the sky. It would have yeah, looked like su- especially to people of that time mm-hmm. would have looked especially just crazy. And they were very quiet, so it just seemed to be suspended in the air like for like just there. Like had, the engines had this low, uh, deep rumble. Yeah. And so you could hear it when it was, if it was low and you could, it was passing it right overhead, you could hear it. Yeah. But otherwise, it was very quiet. I mean, I remember seeing the Goodyear blimp, and I know it's probably a fifth of the size of this, if yeah. that, maybe a tenth of the size of this. And we'll get to the size in a little bit. But uh, seeing that and being like, holy shit, how is that even? Yeah, the same thought, probably, but theirs was much bigger when they were looking at it and and it was silver and badass looking. It didn't say fucking good year on it. And they were using, so blimps, modern day blimps all use helium, but they were using mm-hmm. hydrogen, which is actually even lighter. So, and they got a whole lot more of it in there. So it probably had more lift capacity Crazy. and whatnot okay. to, right. to make it, to allow it to be so huge. Insane. After the war, these airships went from being vehicles of war to vehicles of luxury. Developed in the early 1930s by the Zeppelin company, Luftschiff Zeppelin number 129, later christened the Hindenburg, was designed to be a luxury ship in the sky. Huh. I don't think so. Not for me. I don't like airplanes. And, you know, airplanes have been around and, and have proven themselves <laughs> time and time again, right? Well, and we'll talk about how this led to the demise, I mean, immediately of airships and whether or not that was actually fair. Or we can talk about it now. Um, but I guess we'll wait till we okay. get to when we, when we get to what I'm getting at is the amount of people that died versus the perception of what happened. Okay. Um, but so at this time, so speaking of planes, passenger aircraft were still quite unit rudimentary. So this time, speaking of passenger aircraft, uh, they are still quite rudimentary and limited in range. I think like Charles Lindbergh, whose baby theft that you mixed up the Hindenburg <laughs> yeah. with. Yeah. Um, he had made his transatlantic flight sometime around this time. And that was like a big deal, like for one person to go across all the way across the Atlantic. So yeah. I think pasture aircraft, I mean, they were not very far along. They'd only been invented in like early 1900s. Okay. Whereas these, these airships have been around since mid 19th century. All right. I was kind of disappointed, honestly, that he wasn't involved in the Hindenburg and that it wasn't I know. his baby. I know. They got stolen. No, we'll get to why it's called the Hindenburg. It has nothing to do with Charles Lindbergh. Mm. I thought I was getting to a whole other story. I thought we were like breaking off into like kidnapping cases and stuff now and trying to solve them or something. No, that's true crime. I don't know anybody's. I I'm sure there have been podcasts on the Lindbergh. On <laughs> true <baby>. crime. <laughs> I'm sure there's at least a couple podcasts on true crime out there. Well, not true crime, but I mean they have covered the Lindbergh no, baby got you. thing. It, it, it's not a fun story though. I mean, it's I don't baby, know the story. The baby really. dies. I mean, like they okay. never got the baby back. So the baby back, baby back, baby, uh, baby back. <laughs> and Charles Lindbergh was like, "I want my baby back." And that's how he opened Chili's, <laughs> and Charles Lindbergh started Chili's. Um, so unlike airplanes, zeppelins like the Hindenburg could fly around the world, uh, and indeed the Graf Zeppelin, which was another airship, uh, had done just that in 1929. Uh, and furthermore. Airships could offer the luxury of a, you know, ocean ship uh, while being much faster. And you don't have all the waves and all that bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, there was actually a very comfortable way to travel. And like some people said, like the thing would take off and they wouldn't even realize it. They would just be in the air all of a sudden because <laughs> it was so like, like stable and like. I mean, I guess that's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it's pretty amazing. Like, so you amazing. say it is amazing. I, you say yeah, you wouldn't sure. go in one. Is it what specific reason? Um, there's no tether to the ground. There's no, like, is it the, away. is it the possibility of it burning up or is sure, it like all of it. crashing, crashing? Okay. Mm-hmm. Just anything. But I, I mean, but you would do you, 
you think the the danger would be greater than being on an airplane, which has yeah, I, I but it has so. fuel like I mean flammable fucking fuel on it that if you go and if you crash, it's gonna burn up like it did in like fucking nine eleven. So I mean, like, I hey, we're, we're jumping ahead, we're jumping ahead of ourselves. This is exactly the conversation that we're gonna get to, but we'll we'll we're still teasing it, so we'll come back to that. Okay, I'll think about it. The airship costs three million dollars to build, which is about. 56 million in today's money. Uh, it was 803 feet long. That's 245 meters or nearly three football fields. Oh, this thing was huge. Yeah. And 145 feet tall, which is 44 meters and weighed 242 tons. Although I guess that's without the hydrogen in it, at which point it doesn't, it weighs less than air, but the structure of it did. Uh, so there's wow. a lot, there's a lot of meat to this thing. Physics. You just blew my fucking mind. It was originally designed to use helium as its lifting gas, as helium is non-flammable and therefore much safer than the alternative hydrogen, which is highly flammable when mixed with air. However, helium is a rare and non-renewable inert gas, or whatever the hell they call it, and thus much more expensive than hydrogen. And moreover, at the time, the United States was the only country with industrial amounts of helium and had a ban on its export. Which I don't know. Mm. I didn't know that, and I wonder if we're still the only ones with helium today. And now, when you hear that, you're like, all those people that like suck in helium to do like a crazy high pitched voice. Yeah, that's being very wasteful. Yeah, apparently helium is is <laughs> other other countries is, have helium now though. I, I'm guaranteeing. Are, are we sure about that? I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb and say yeah. Hey, listen mobsters in other countries other than do y'all well do y'all have helium yeah that's all i want to know do you have helium in australia have you, you have ever heard of in it? croatia do you have helium over there in i'm gonna the ask, uk i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna have ask do they have helium in chile they have helium they got balloons they know what's going on i they might just blow theirs up with hydrogen All right, well, we'll just let's find out. Hashtag, hashtag in the ban. Hashtag in the ban on helium exports. In the ban. It's it's time that we started exporting helium. It's time the rest of the world got in on it. <laughs> so as a result, helium was out of the question. Uh, so the Hindenburg used hydrogen as its lifting gas and carried 7 million cubic feet of it in 16 huge cotton bags called cells. Can you say that again? It carried 7 million cubic feet of hydrogen uh, within 16 separate, like they were huge cotton bags basically to fill up along the length, uh, the whole Mm -hmm. ship, 803 foot long ship. And they were called gas cells and they were each filled up with high, like with hydrogen. So that allowed them more, like instead of the whole thing being filled up with one cell of hydrogen, you have these separate bags so you can control the trim of the ship. That's that's crazy. And Who they were the separated fuck? by bulkheads. So they had the, so it had a rigid and I'll, well, I'll get into this now. So the, the gas cells were contained in a structure of girders and tension wires, which formed the outer shell of the airship as well as bulkheads within, which gave it like internal strength, like compressive strength. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I guess they had a group of, I mean, German scientists are pretty, right. They, they were like, yeah, you just put them in these bags, bro. You just, no, you'll float. It, it's crazy, like how it's simple, but it's also complex. But it's really amazing, like how, yeah, how they invented how, like how these things work it, in cotton bags, so they they could seep through. No, so. well, they, I, they were, I'm sure okay. they were made. So we'll get to like something they put on the outer canvas, which they may have put on the on the bags, but they they were not going to leak. I mean, that was not okay. I mean, they could, but. Um, and also they had vents attached to them for intentional leaking to like control the level of the ship. Like, so they, they could, they would vent gas on purpose, um, as well, man, when they needed to, this is, that's wild. Like, yeah. These are very crazy. complex, um, for given that it's, it's a hot air balloon essentially, yeah. but I mean, it's mm-hmm. going, it's like, it's a souped up hot air balloon. <laughs> uh, so these girders were made of an aluminum alloy called duralumin, uh, which, and the reason they were using aluminum was to keep, just keep as light as possible. Uh, on the, so that, you know, obviously the heavier you get, the more hydrogen you're going to need to. So they had to keep everywhere they can cut, uh, weight. They're going to do that. Um, on the outside, the entire structure was wrapped in a cotton canvas and that canvas was covered in a silver dope, 
and that's what it's called a dope yeah uh, containing aluminum and iron and dope is a lacquer that would be applied to the cloth canvases of the air of airships uh, to help make the ship uh, air and weather tight as well as reflective to keep down internal heat cool so that's why it was so that's why they look silver it was it was in a cloth canvas and yeah they doped it and that's that silver uh finish that it has what did i say at the beginning i said it looks fucking awesome Mm -hmm. way cooler than a goodyear blimp yeah oh yeah yeah no it's because it would have been it would have been crazy to see and of course i've seen it a lot because uh i listened to led zeppelin uh one i don't know what it is i think it's it's the first one first one Yeah. yeah Uh, with the, the the famous shot of the Hindenburg crashing on it. Yep. And the, also the ship contained diesel fuel tanks inside the envelope. So the envelope is that main body of the ship. Uh, and the engines had fuel lines running to externally mounted engines. So it's it's almost, it's crazy. It's like, reminds you of um, like Super Mario or something or some, or like Sonic the Hedgehog. Like some of the villains would be in those airships. Oh, with yeah. the with the spinning propellers on the outside, I mean that's what this that's what this was. That's cool. Uh, it's like something out of a video game. Uh, it's really cool. Uh, the ship had passenger decks, crew areas, a cargo hold, and a gondola affixed at the bottom from which the ship was uh, piloted. Which basically it was the bridge and the radio room. It had a lounge with a, a baby grand piano made out of aluminum. <laughs> Everything out of me. That's cool. That's yeah. that's cool, man. You know what? The more you keep, the more you talk about it, and I know it's going to explode. But the more you hey. keep talking about it, the more I want to get on it. Yeah, <laughs> you you would have about a two out of three chance of surviving. That's pretty good odds. It's not not terrible. Um, it also had a specially made pressurized room for smoking, so like passengers were not permitted to carry their own lighters or anything that made a spark onto the ship. No, sir. In fact, uh, Werner Derner who you're going to talk about in your uh, matter of facts. Mm. He, he, he recounted a story where he had a toy that like made sparks or some like little car. And it would, like, as he rolled it along the floor, it would make sparks. And the, um, the, uh, one of the officers on the ship uh, confiscated it from him. So they were very serious about yeah. no stray sparks in that ship. It's like in the hospital, it's like no open flames. Don't be fucking around. Yeah. I just saw, I read a story the other day that somewhere, I think it was in Russia. Somebody, the whole family just started, they were like, hey, we're just going to smoke in here. And they all blew the fuck up. Oh, shit. Yep. So it happens. It really does happen. I always thought, like, who would do that? But people do it. As the airship was partly funded and operated by a Nazi-affiliated organization, there were giant swastika flags painted on the upper and lower tail fins. Further, Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi propaganda minister, had wanted to, had wanted the ship to be named after Hitler. However, Dr. Hugo Eckner, the chairman of the Zeppelin Company and not a fan of the regime, named it uh, the Hindenburg after the late German president and field marshal Paul von Hindenburg. I fucks with that guy. But so let me let me, well, let me backtrack a little bit on my statement earlier where it says, as you kept talking, I wanted to get on it more. I didn't know you were about to say that part about the Nazis. So I just want to say that I didn't know that going into that. I don't want to ride on a Nazi airship. Okay. But, so you would not write it for political reasons now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Especially after I found out I'm 25% Jewish. Jewish. Hey, have you been to Temple this month? I have not. But it's mm. the month's still young. It's it, it only made the the, the resolution on the 1st. Wait, so January. So it only it only applied for that one day? No, no, no. I'm just saying it's only, I only made the resolution 24 days ago. I got time. Right. There's 31 but days not a whole in January. That's what I'm saying. I got eight days, man. Have you found one? I did that on purpose. Eight days. Eight days? Eight crazy nights. Okay. You know? Well, I'll ask uh, again in eight days. Having made 10 trips to the U.S. and seven to South America in 1936, the Hindenburg departed from Frankfurt, Germany on May 3rd, 1937, bound for Lakehurst, New Jersey, on its first trip of the 1937 season. It would, of course, be its last trip of any season. Tickets cost four hundred and fifty dollars per person, or about uh, seventy six hundred in today's money. Whoa! Okay, that's another reason why I'm not going on there, right? It's very expensive. But I did see the dining room in there. It was very fancy. It is fancy. Fancy. And did I did you see. see go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. Oh, Jake. You can't talk until I'm done with this. Did you? I saw a picture of the menu. A little bit. No, of I did it. not see that. Yeah, they had like. I did not see that. Oh, 
Very good. They had a Blimp Scampi. Um, they also had Blimp and Grits. They also had what they called the Hindenburger, which ironically was a hamburger they just lit on fucking fire. Mm. It's the only thing they were allowed to have open flame inside the right. ship. Maybe why it went down. Possibly. Cooking too many Hindenburgers. Mm. So I saw that. that was, I was just, I'm just wanted to point that out. Right, fancy. Cool. Yeah. cool. I'm glad that went well. Cause well I'm glad that went well, too, because I was talking about the actual map on the wall and their lounge, which I thought was pretty cool. Oh, well, cool. They had a world. They had a they had a world map. <laughs> so in the lounge area, they had a big uh, map of the world on the wall. And it was pretty cool. That's cool. I'm glad you enjoyed those, because uh, usually when I tell a Hindenburg joke, it doesn't land well. The trouble began for the Hindenburg over the North Atlantic, where the ship encountered storms and strong headwinds delaying its arrival. It was scheduled to arrive in Lakehurst at 6 a.m. on May 6, but the crew knew they would not be able to meet this deadline even before they reached the American shore. Matters were made worse, however, when they were told by officials at the Lakehurst Naval Air Station that there were thunderstorms passing through which would prevent the possibility of a landing. The ship, which had made its way down the eastern seaboard, including crossing over New York City, was left in a holding pattern around the New Jersey coast until a break in the weather would allow for a landing. Ooh, I would not pay $7,600 equivalent to see New Jersey over and over and over again. No, No, well, thank you. It it may not have been. It may have been better in 1937, but I see your point. Mm. I wouldn't want to spend it over South Carolina either, so no but offense. But what no. about, have you seen the pictures of it over New York City? Yeah, it looks fucking awesome. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. And that would have been pretty amazing yeah. to see. You could have been like, Captain, can you just go back? to I mean, it's right, New York City's right there, dude. We're in an airship. We can get there in 10 minutes. Can we circle around the, the Statue of Liberty or something? Or Yeah. We don't want to see Jersey. Yeah, and in case you're wondering, like, why Lakehurst, New Jersey, which you would have never heard of if not for this disaster, like there's not that many hangars that can fit an airship because they're gigantic. So Lakehurst just happened to be a place where there was a hangar big enough uh, for an airship. That is interesting, and I actually have a another weird uh, fact. This is a real fact. I'm not. This is not a joke. No. In 1988, the New Jersey Devils, of course, the the hockey team for New Jersey, yeah, recorded their own song, and I, I'd never heard it, but I am I'm assuming it's um like the Super Bowl shuffle that the uh, Bears did. Mm-hmm. But it was called Catch Fire. Ugh, coincidence? I think maybe. Maybe. Okay. So, yeah. I just wanted you to know that. That was it. So Catch Fire was your song. Okay. Was that no big deal. that was that a controversy or no no was no? That's no. just something you I'm found just saying, randomly. That's just something I found randomly. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I'm researching New Jersey a little bit. Got it. But you're saying that the blimp, the Zeppelin, went to Not the a blimp. the Ze- airship. The airship. The Skytanic. The Skytanic. Went to the Jersey Shore. It did. Yeah. It went to the Jersey Shore. Fuck yeah. It hung out at the Jersey Shore for a while. Around. Yeah. In fact, so they were supposed to land at seven. uh, No, they were supposed to land at 6 a.m. It was around 7 p.m. when just such a break had occurred in the weather uh, that the Hindenburg was cleared for landing. As people watched from the ground, the silver behemoth emerged out of the gray clouds towards the mooring mass of the airfield. The wind suddenly changed direction on the approach, and Max Proust, the captain of the Hindenburg, ordered a hard turn to starboard. The ship was tail-heavy coming in, so the captain, having previously vented some of its hydrogen, dropped several thousand pounds of water ballast to try to get the ship to trim, and further ordered six crewmen to the bow of the ship. Finally, around 7.21 p.m., with the grounds crew assembled below, the Hindenburg dropped her starboard and port anchor lines, which would help uh, guide the ship to the mooring mast. I'm, I'm just letting you know that captain sounds fucking awesome. Uh, he definitely tried, and uh, I think that I've been watching Game of Thrones again, mm-hmm. and it just reminded me of that first. He just knew exactly what he was doing. He just wanted to try. Like, which character in particular? Save this. Oh, I don't know. All just, of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It just, he just needed to save. He just needed to do whatever he could to save it. He's like, let's drop some water. Let's get some six guys, maybe six guys come up here, not seven, not five. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like he, right. he, six guys. Yeah. He tried to, but. I really um, think he's a badass. But we'll we'll talk about his, we'll talk Uh-oh. about him. We'll talk about him uh, later. 
But yeah, I mean, he did what he could, but he also had some circumstances maybe working against him, but maybe circumstances of his own um, doing. Uh oh, and I, <laughs> I didn't. That wasn't like a lead in or anything. I didn't fucking. I don't know anything about this shit. Right. But no, that's that's that's. <laughs> so that's I, I feel strange. you. I can understand that because he was. Yeah, he went. Hard he didn't knowingly. Like we'll get we'll get to his performance. It wasn't anything knowing on his part. They really did want to land this thing though. They had a. They were on a time. There's a lot of time pressure, and Captain Pruce's uh, seat, like his boss, basically was a man named Ernst Lehman, and he was the director of operations at the Zeppelin at at the Zeppelin company, and he was on board as well. Oh yeah. So he, basically, his boss is there. Like he's got to try to perform, and like, and they're not they're in danger of not making that 10 p.m. departure. And they really wanted to make that for reasons we'll discuss uh, okay. when we get to Seeds of Destruction. Yeah. I just want to go back real quick. The imagery of the Zeppelin coming through the clouds, cutting through the clouds all of a sudden. Yeah. Man. That... I've seen, like, in some of the, the uh, newsreel footage, you can kind of see it. It seems that you kind of, like, all of a sudden, because it's this gray clouds, because it's been, like, storms mm-hmm. all day. And then suddenly this giant silver um, airship, like, just emerges from the clouds. It's fucking wild. Yeah. Yeah. That shit just, I don't know why yeah, that gets me. It's really cool. You should definitely look it up. The grounds crewmen looked up as the massive airship hovered 300 feet over their heads. And I'll let Herb Morrison take it from here. It's starting to rain again. It's, the rain had uh, cracked up a little bit. They backed motors of the ship are just holding it uh, just enough to keep it from... It burst into flames. Get it started. Get it started. It's flying and it's flashing. It's flashing terrible. Oh my! Get out of the way, please. It's burning, bursting into flames, and and it's falling on the morning fast. And all the folks between us, this is terrible. This is the one of the worst catastrophes in the world. Oh, it's it's, it's, it's flashing twenty, oh four or five hundred feet into the sky, and it, it's a terrific crash, ladies and gentlemen. The smoke and the flames now, and the flame is crashing to the ground, not quite to the morning mass. All the humanity and all the fans are just screaming around it. I don't do it. I can't even talk to people. His friends are out there. It's a, it's, it's a, oh. I, I can't talk, ladies and gentlemen. Honest, it's just laying down massive smoking wreckage. And everybody can't hardly breathe and talk and screaming. Lady, I, I, I'm sorry. Honestly, I, I can hardly breathe. I, I'm going to step inside while I cannot see it. Charlie, that's terrible. I, I can't. I, listen, folks, I, I'm going to have to stop for a minute because I've lost the voices. It's the worst thing I've ever witnessed. At 7.25 p.m., a huge geyser of flames burst from the top side of the after portion of the ship. The grounds crewmen ran for dear life in all directions as the ship came crashing down. First, the tail portion crashed. Then the 803-foot-long airship buckled about halfway down its length. Its nose pointed upward. Flames shot through the interior of the ship's envelope and out of the nose like a fire-breathing dragon. Those ship crewmen who had been sent to the bow to level the ship were either roasted or had to jump from far too great a height to survive. As the rest of the ship came crashing down, many passengers jumped out of the observation windows, and again, some from jumped from too great a height. Hmm. Yeah, you got to jump, though. You got to yeah. try it, I think. Well, it's the... We've talked about it before. Yeah. When you're faced with burning alive or jumping mm. to your death, probably just go ahead and jump. Cause, and they were at a height where it's like maybe. Cause it, was, it, was, it started at 300 feet, so it would have been that or less. And, and actually, so it had been crashing down. So it had been less. But if you jumped early, and the thing is, you probably could wait a little bit too. That's exactly you had cool. time to wait. In fact, you, some, a lot of people, I think, never jumped out at all. Um, and ran after it touched down after the observation deck um, like reached ground level mm-hmm. where they could just run out. Now, a lot of those people got burned badly. Yeah. But a well, lot of people yeah. did that. But I think your best bet was to jump a little ways, like 50 feet or so, maybe less, um, and try to land well. You know, put your feet together. Roll. Uh, cross roll. your arms and lean kind of back. And yeah, and try to land and, and roll. See if you can land in like on your feet, but like kind of roll forward at the same time. So you're not putting all your pressure yeah. and you don't crack your, crack and, your ankles. Yeah. And from what I understand, you want to try to keep your feet together, man, I would have tried it. And could you move freely on the ship? It was like, well, never mind. I saw the video It all. 
it all went up at the same time. It pretty much just what started in the back, going. and but then it reached, and then it shot. The flames shot through it out the nose of it, and then it just started like to develop the whole thing. And it was uh, thirty-four seconds. Yeah, and the whole eight hundred and three foot thing had burned up. And what her? What's his name? Well, who's the guy announcing it? Herb Morrison. Herb Morrison. He sounds horrified. As yeah, because it, it was mean, a, yeah, and it was a horrifying thing to yeah. see this giant. Because we're talking about how amazing this thing would have been, would have looked in the sky, how huge it would have been. Well, when it touched, when it was on the ground, it would have been like massive. Yeah, and it's all on fire, and it burns up yeah. like all, almost all at once. So hydrogen burns fast, but it burns uh, quickly. It sure did. That's what I'm afraid a hot air balloon is going to do, you know. So that's why. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I decided not to get on it in on it. At the end, you know, I was going to get in the ship and enjoy the, the blimp scampi, but something was telling me don't do it. That's a hell don't of do it. But it would have been a hell of a story to tell people from then on out. But yeah, you you did run the risk of getting, either killed or severely burned. Yeah. As so as the rest of the ship came crashing down, many passengers, as we talked about, jumped out of the observation windows. And again, some jumped from too great a height. So as we're saying, I think some people just jumped a little too soon. Should have just waited. Just waited. waited you got to wait till longer, the last which, second. But you get it, though. Yeah, oh, you one definitely gu- get it. Yeah. One guy described, like, it was like the air was just suddenly on fire. Yeah. Um, you just got to go, okay, I'm jumping. Like, yeah. you probably can't see anything. You have no idea how high you it are, probably. Been, and also. everybody's panicking. And yeah, they're oh, having yeah. that, they also have to break out the windows on the observation deck so that they can jump out of them. So there's this, you know, mad, like breaking at the windows yeah i mean um, you know smashing them and all that i've luckily never been in the middle of a it w- fire it would have been pandemonium but i'm positive you can't see a goddamn thing i bet that you can't breathe first of all and yeah. it's are you just feeling intense heat intense heat. and you're just probably just like yeah i'm jumping like i don't care yeah. <laughs> i don't care i just don't want to burn this is a this is a fire that's spreading through the fucking air that's crazy wow and then that's where oh the humanity comes from of course yeah but Basically referring to it because he thought her, he said later in an interview, um, he thought everybody had died, like for sure. Like, oh, yeah. He watched the whole thing I mean, burn the, up. It was like, so he, it was like just too much for him. He thought he just witnessed some, yeah. Um, I mean, he still did, but it wasn't quite on the scale. Yeah. On the clip, you, on the clip you just heard, uh, it's the, the one on YouTube that is a minute 21 seconds. So it takes no time at all to watch it. He's seeing it at the same time he's recalling it or whatever, I'm guessing, right? So the newsreel of him talking, like, that was or the that was for the radio. And so you, people often have them paired up with the newsreel footage, mm-hmm. but they were not originally together. Right, but he's see, he's there seeing he, it, he's but he's reporting on the radio. it for Chicago radio. So he's live seeing it. So when you're seeing it and he, you're hearing his voice, even though they weren't it's together, what, yeah, it's what he's it's seeing. It's what he's seeing. So yeah. you'll see how fast it fucking burns up, and it is... It's really scary. Yeah. So you would think, I mean, obviously anyone yeah, you would bet think they're all, fucking they're all dead. dead. There's no way anybody survived that. In only 34 seconds, the entire airship was engulfed in bright red flames with thick black smoke emanating from where the diesel tanks were. For minutes after the crash, people staggered out of the flames, some with their clothes and hair burned off and, the, and skin hanging in shreds. Members of the ground crew who were fortunate to have been drenched by the rain which ultimately protected most of them from severe burns, rushed as close as the heat would allow to help survivors away from the burning wreckage, all while screams could be heard emanating from the inferno. And we heard that on another British Pathé video. So when you see the video of that video is the live that's the, audio that's going on at the same time. That, people that, around. So that was so, you know, America has its own newsreel companies. That was the British Pathé. That's their newsreel company. That's what they got caught, and yeah, it's the people just—it's just the live audio of the people screaming and gasping at what they're seeing. It's crazy, and I think everybody thought everybody was dead, for sure. It's yeah, yeah. And I learned other humanity, by the way, by the from the Simpsons. Really? So, yep. So yeah, you. and so I looked that up as far as so it's basically now used in a um, mocking kind of yeah. like exaggerated way when somebody's complaining about a petty annoyance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. the humanity. But so, when somebody you, ate my tuna sandwich again. Yeah. Oh, the humanity. Yeah, that'd be like a Kathy comic or something. Yeah, Kathy. Yeah. Um, so in five minutes, the fire had burned itself out. So like we were saying, it wow. spread fast, but it's an airborne uh, fire. It's, it's spread through the hydrogen. 
as it, it just evaporates and it gets burned up and evaporates away, it just burns out. I mean, so the rest of the fire was probably from the diesel fuel and whatever bits of canvas had not just completely turned to ash so far. And I guess it wouldn't make sense to have like a um, any kind of sprinkler system because you'd have to carry water barrels or whatever. That'd be way too heavy. They didn't even want to put a baby grand piano in there, a real one. To make it, it, yeah, you it, put, it putting water on the ship. Yeah, no, that'd yeah. be way too heavy, and that wouldn't make any sense, anyways. Yeah, it's burning way too quick, and it's not water. I don't think would do anything. It's a if it's spreading through the air, you know, it would just burn all the. It would just burn everything except the water tanks, and then they just no, no, no. splash I mean, to the ground like water balloons. <laughs> no, I'm saying, what if each person had their own tank of water, like a dunk tank, and they just, I'm just. And they sat at it. I'm just kidding. I'm saying what if they had a um, sprinkler system uh, installed in the... That doesn't make any sense. I mean, well, the thing is, maybe... All right, you know what? I'll give you this. Maybe in the passenger quarters or like where the smoking deck is, they could have an internal, but they can't hold much water, I wouldn't think. I mean, they got to stay... Well, it'd be too heavy. Water's pretty heavy. It is Maybe a small amount. They'd probably just have... I don't know if they had fire uh, hydrants or. Well, that wouldn't have helped. Fucking fire, fire, fire. <laughs> yeah, fuck? just pop they open the they fire didn't hydrant. Have a fucking fire. Just they didn't have water, up. but they had fire hydrants somehow. <laughs> no, they had fire extinguishers. That that wouldn't um, have helped either. I don't know if they had what well, a fire extinguisher. It's a small <laughs> fire extinguisher. I mean, all they, that fire exploded. All them but, bitches and laughed at it. It ate it all up. No, I'm talking about for in the cabin, like if. Like they had a smoking like a room, small for fire. example. It's yes, if somebody I'm sure was did. burning a napkin or something, or, a, or they had a they had a uh, kitchen, or if they had a toy car, spark making sparks and shit. Yeah, they had a toy car. Bitch. I'm I'm talking about small fires in the passenger air passenger and crew areas. They might have had if they had. I'm sure they had fire extinguishers back then. I'm pretty sure I've seen yeah, the yeah. three stooges like spray each other with <laughs> with them before. <laughs> so that's my the confirmation. Cream in them, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's how men put on shaving cream back then with fire extinguishers. So anyways, 35 people aboard the ship and one person on the ground, uh, were killed along with one dog. Oh yeah. There's a guy who's transporting a dog. We'll, we'll get to that. Huh. Uh, incredibly, however, 62 people aboard survived. So that's, um, you know, 35 gone, 62 lived. So that's about. A 60, you get a two-thirds chance. Yeah, a 60% chance of survival right there. Not, not 60 bad. exactly, but no, no, 66 maybe. Not, we're not mathematicians here. Right. This isn't a math fucking podcast. But Stop anyways, it. it's a better chance of living. Yeah. Better than half. Yeah. So would you take those odds just to be, just no. to ride on the Titanic? No? The Skytanic? The Skytanic? Yeah. No. Would you go on the Titanic? I, I would have probably. The if Titanic? I'm, yeah. Probably would have if I would have had him seriously. You, yeah, I feel like you have less of a chance on the Titanic, but are you going in the fucking water? Yeah, that's scary. But okay, well, maybe not back then, but now, like, if so, well, I don't want to go on a cruise. Well, if, we're, wait, if we're gonna say you're the Hindenburg, you're gonna be on it going down, then you have to say the Titanic going down. Oh, so we because uh, otherwise, so it's would, would you ride on it and it's not gonna crash, or you yeah, know, I would, <laughs> would you ride on an airship knowing that it's not gonna burn yes. up? Okay. Yes, I would. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, of course. I, I was going to say, I mean, yeah, or you could take your chances knowing that it is because your odds are still in your favor, but. I see what you're saying here. Okay, well, if you had to pick one. Or would I you take your so. chance on the Titanic? No. Do you think you'd manage to get on one of them boats? Fuck no. You would not. No. You'd be, you'd be in like the working class quarters. Right. I would be somebody's, somebody's been like. You'd be like hey, I know a guy Jack's friend. <laughs> yeah. You remember that guy? Yeah. yeah, I'd be that guy who'd be like, uh, hey, uh, we need an extra guy. Fuck, dude got sick or whatever. He's like, I know a guy can work. And it'd be me. And I'd be like, of course. Motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. Or I'd be like the musician or whatever. And I'd just be like, we're going down with the shit, boys. Keep playing the fiddle. Yeah, just keep playing. The violin and fiddle. Just play that fiddle. Captain Proust survived the crash, but was severely burned and would spend the rest of his life wearing a prosthetic nose. What? Yeah. That's wild. Ernst Lehman, the director of operations for the Zeppelin Company, who we mentioned before, uh, was not so fortunate. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Oh. That brings us to our segment. As a matter of fact, that's the facts about that. And today's that of which I have facts for is Hindenburg. Oh, you ain't know? 
Number one, the Hindenburg was built using metal from an airship that had exploded. The Hindenburg bought their metal from a, the remains of Britain's R-101 hydrogen airship, which had crashed October 1930, and used the material, a light but hard alloy of aluminum, copper, and other metals, to make parts for the Hindenburg. Fact number two, the Hindenburg made an appearance at the 1936 Olympics. Oh, neato. Propaganda minister Joseph Go- Goebbels. Goebbels, we, we mentioned him. Yeah, Goebbels. Goebbels. <laughs> was behind the initial Nazi contribution to the Hindenburg's construction. Goebbels was aware of the potential symbolic value of the LZ-129, also known as the Hindenburg, as a showcase for the German strength and technology. After its completion, the ship was used to help promote Adolf Hitler's interest. On August 1st, 1936, the Hindenburg flew over the... (laughs) (laughs) Why do you do this to yourself? What is it? Flew over the Reichsport field. (laughs) (laughs) On August 1st, 1936, the Hindenburg flew over the Reichsportfeld complex in Berlin to kick off that year's Summer Olympic Games. By then, swastika flags had been painted on the tail fins already. Fact number three. A retired NASA scientist blamed the Hindenburg disaster on paint. In the 1990s, Addison Bain put forth the theory that the Hindenburg was covered in paints which chemically resembled rocket fuel. He believed that this, and not the hydrogen containers was the main culprit behind the raging fire. Yeah, and so there have been subsequent studies to refute those claims, which show that the ship could not have burned fast enough uh, just by being fueled by the... that. He's talking about, about that dope we were talking about. The, oh, yeah, yeah. That so lacquer. The dope-ass It is a highly flammable substance, but it would not burn nearly fast enough to account for how quickly the Hindenburg went up. The only thing that could account for that was the hydrogen. That's the only thing that could burn that fast. True that. So he wrong. He's wrong. Fact four. Herb Morrison's voice was distorted on his famous recording that we heard earlier. <laughs> Herb Morrison, the guy that we heard earlier who worked for the <laughs> Chicago-based radio station, um, his narration of the tragedy was replayed across the country, becoming almost as famous as the event itself, and I think it is as famous. Yeah, the line, oh, the mm-hmm. humanity. Yeah. Which is, it's joking now, but it's like when you hear the actual origin of it, it's pretty intense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And when you see it with it, for sure. Mm-hmm. But the recording on Morris's report, complete with the now iconic line, Oh, the humanity, artificially distorted his voice, making it sound a lot higher than it really was. Interesting. Yeah. I did not know that. Fact. fact number five. Werner D. Donor? Werner Donor. Oh, Werner Donor, the guy with the car. The Hindenburg disaster's last survivor passed away on November 8th, 2019. The German-born Derner was just eight years old when he and his two siblings and his mother and father were aboard the Hindenburg. His father and sister were killed in the crash. Derner would go on to become an engineer for General Electric. Hey, he died at the age of 90. Yep. And, Interesting. And a footnote to that. So his father and sister died, as you mentioned. He, his brother, I think his older brother, and his mom survived. Guess which three jumped out the window, and guess which three did not, or which two? I think that's a yeah, yeah. You had to jump. You yeah. just had to time it. You had to time. You just it. had to time it, or you had to be a child because you know she threw. So she yeah, she threw Werner out the window. Mm-hmm. Children are very throwable, throwable and malleable. Would you say? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I have one. He busted his lip today. Oh, boy. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, but he he bounced back. He's like a Little rubber band, you know what I'm saying? I don't think that makes sense. He must have packed like a little rubber band. <laughs> and here's the last fact. The Hindenburg was the largest craft to ever fly. More than three times longer than a Boeing 747, the Hindenburg and its sister ship, which never flew a regular passenger route, was the largest craft to fly. It had a top speed of 84 miles an hour and a cruising speed of 78 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And that has been, as a matter of fact, that's the facts about that. That's right. Hindenburg, you ain't know? Thank you. That's right. And that uh, sister ship was the Graf Zeppelin II, and they didn't build it because World War II started, and they weren't trying to build airships. By that point, they were not using them for war anymore. Right, right, right. 
that, that, that shit don't work. And now it's time for Seeds of Destruction. I am the seed of destruction. So, a 12-hour delay in arrival due to storms over the Atlantic during the flight and around Lakehurst the day of arrival uh, with the 10 p.m. planned departure time created pressure to land despite questionable weather conditions. I am the seed of destruction. Seed number two. King Edward VIII uh, had to abdicate the throne so he could marry Wallace Simpson. Now, you have to go with me on this. Okay. This is kind of a circuitous huh. uh, chain of events that leads to pressure, that leads to the, the Hindenburg disaster. Okay. Or it plausibly does. So, King Edward VIII of England had to abdicate the throne so he could marry Wallace Simpson, an American divorcee. That was a big no-no back then. And Wallace is a woman's name? That's a woman. Okay. Yeah. And he loved her. This is all in The Crown on Netflix in case you watched it. I do watch it. It's all in there. Okay. His abdication led to his brother becoming King George the Sixth, uh, the coronation of whom was to take place on May 12th, 1937. King George the Sixth is uh, Queen Elizabeth, current Queen Elizabeth's dad. Oh. So this abdication hmm. uh, led to that coronation. And that's what put them on the time pressure to leave um, at 10 p.m. from Lakehurst so they could get back in time for the coronation of King Edward. Or was it King? No, it's King George. King George? Yeah. I think the queen, the queen wasn't born then or? No, she was, she was, was she like a teenager, I think. Okay. Or she was maybe young woman. I don't know exactly her age, but that was she was around. Yeah. Okay. I am the seed of destruction. And so adding to that pressure, you have Ernst Lehman, who's the director of operations for the Zeppelin company, who's on board. He might be going, I'm sure he's going to the coronation. And so he's on board. And so you've got this pressure on the captain who might do something a little more risky than he normally would. Mm. Uh-oh. Just to, you know, oh, appease like his boss. <laughs> like, like boss is going to be like, dude, we got to fucking make it. If you make me miss this, like, your ass is grass, you know? Yeah. He probably said it in a German accent. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that was probably the gist of it. Scarier. Mm-hmm. Okay. On its landing approach, a sudden change in wind direction pushed the ship off its course. Uh, and these ships being so massive need to take long, wide turns in order, in order to keep the stress off their support infrastructure. So, however, with time pressure in mind, Captain Proust made a hard starboard turn to stay on course and land quickly. And this hard turn caused immense stress on the support structure, leading one of the tension wires to snap. And when it snapped, the tension wire tore open one of the hydrogen cells, allowing the hydrogen to leak into the space between the cells and the outer canvas, mm. um, and allowing it thus to mix with the air and become flammable. There you go. That's probably what happened. Yeah. Is and so there was testimony after the fact when they did the inquiry of... Uh, one guy witnessed the back canvas near where the fire is, is believed to have started. Um, he, he noticed it fluttering, like as though there's some gas or air leaking from within it. It wasn't fluttering from the mm-hmm. wind on, uh, acting on it. It just had this bubbling kind of fluttering yeah. look. And it looked like something was leaking from it. Yep. I, I bet it did. I'm sure that's exactly what happened. That sounds plausible. That sounds very plausible. But that's one step in the chain, though. Seed number four, there was a smaller, so there was a break in the weather, but what the um, captain on the ground, who's a U.S. Navy uh, captain or whatever, um, who's making the call as to whether the weather was okay to uh, land the airship, didn't realize was there was a smaller unseen storm front that was moving in at the same time they were trying to land the ship. So because there's no rain or anything, he just wasn't picking up on you would have to read your instruments to see that there was a storm front coming through at that moment because it wasn't obvious. It was like a smaller one that came in after a large storm front had come through. Okay. So he felt like there was a break in the weather when really there wasn't. Um, and this increased uh, the static charge in the air. Oh, so yeah. This is, the, this is where we're getting into the second um, thing that had to occur for this to go off. Okay. Anchor ropes were dropped to the ground, as we mentioned, and these allowed the ground crew... I think they would like tie them to these winches 
to help kind of guide the ship in. And then they had a main mooring cable that they would tie to a mooring mat, a mooring mast, which kind of looks like a small Eiffel tower. Um, okay, cool. And they would connect it to the nose of the, of the Zeppelin and hold it in place like that or any airship. And yeah, it looks kind of crazy. It's just like a balloon, like tied directly onto something. So it's just kind of, it's not going anywhere. I believe you can see the ropes coming down on the video. Yes, you can. Okay. You can also see them uh, dropping ballast water uh, on mm-hmm. like three separate occasions. They dropped ballast water because they were tail heavy. But yeah, so you can see them Crazy. drop both. They have a starboard and a port anchor rope they drop down. Yep. Um, so, but anytime, but when they drop those cables down, it creates a static charge. Uh, and it was crazy because one of the ground crewmen that was still alive, I think he died now, but he was, he talks on all these different documentaries about the Hindenburg. Um, he mentions how, like, if you're standing too close, much less touching it, but even standing too close to it, the static shock that would occur from the, these ropes touching ground would knock you on your ass. That's crazy. Cause I try to avoid static shock at all costs. I don't yeah. go down, um, well, I don't, I'm an adult now, but I don't, I used to not go down like plastic slides, I don't, you know, the laundry coming out with the sheets and stuff, especially in the wintertime when it's dry outside. Yeah. I was like, I'm not feeling that. I did laundry today with static electricity and I was like, I'm not feeling this. No. Yet. I remember we I had like a, it. we had, it was like a cable box that had this metal uh, frame or covering in my <laughs> living room and we had a carpeted living room and every time I touched that freaking box, it would shock the hell out of me. Yeah. That's, and it, I hated that thing. I remember one time we played a show and uh, the other other singer was playing and he got shocked on his fucking lips through the microphone. Oh, no. And he was done. He was like, I'm out. I'm done. No. It was yeah. raining outside, too. It was a dangerous situation to begin with. Yeah. But, yeah. They dropped the rope. Um, so this is going to ground the, the airship, but it didn't do it immediately. It took time for the ropes to become saturated. So at first they were dry. And this is the theory, at least. That's why they didn't immediately ground the, the airship and lead to what's going to happen, which we're going to get to right now. Mm. Uh, so it took them because it happened. The ship's ignition happened four minutes after they dropped the anchor lines to the ground. Okay. I am the speed of destruction. There was static charge built up around the ship. And now about four minutes after the anchor ropes were dropped, there was a sudden and this is a technical term, potential difference. And this means uh, a difference in amount of energy that charge carriers have between two points in a circuit. So hmm. I think it's just like if there's more charge oh, right. on one side and less on the other, like it's going to, it's basically electricity is going to travel down to the ground. Like that's my understanding. Okay. So it's going to travel down. So what happened is there's a, electri- a static charge built up around the ship. And it might have been even the fact that it had that metal doping or whatever it was, but yeah, it. Was. So, so you awesome. have and you have the free hydrogen. So you have hydrogen that's leaked out of its cell, has mixed with the air, and become highly flammable. Mm-hmm. So the charge is going to look find its way to the ground now that it's grounded, and now that the ropes are wet and have good conduction or you know good conducting capacity now. So the a lightning a, or a static spark occurred like what we we're talking about, but on a much larger one mm-hmm. and lit up and, and charged up the, um, it, it hit the steel or the aluminum structure. And that's what ignited the hydrogen. And then that's what ignited the whole thing. Yeah. So basically it, it like just got real charged and somebody rubbed their feet on the carpet yeah. and touched the metal. And, and they took, when they touched the, I guess when they touched those ropes to the ground, cause I guess, they can get struck by lightning if they're in the air and it won't do anything. What? Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> um, what the fuck? Because they're not grounded. The same way like birds can land on a on a voltage wire and not get electrocuted because they're not touching the ground. But if they touch another wire, if they are touching the ground, it would, you know, electrocute you. Hmm. You know that, right? So if you took like a ladder and laid it against a, uh, a voltage wire, it would shock them, you know, it would kill you. Yeah. Well, I know because that. you're on the ground. Okay. Well, I'm fine then. But anyway, I won't do that then. So it lit it up, and um, that's what let the whole thing ablaze. And then you know you also had that doping stuff on the canvas, so I'm sure that helped it go up in flames so quickly. But mainly it was the hydrogen, and the whole skin of it. And like we said, 34 seconds, the whole thing burns up. 
and there's crazy footage of the um the script of Hindenburg where it was painted on the side, uh, just burning, burning up, up in flames, like just disintegrating. Just burn, and it burns. And so up it was so just fast. a it was just a yeah it was just the skeleton of the ship when after five minutes the whole thing burned out. Yeah, and I guess I'm sure the fuel was still burning. But Dude, so 34 seconds it took to burn three football fields. Yes, yeah, 100 and, 145 feet I think we said in height. It's massive fucking thing, that's, and it burned up just like that. Yeah, it did. It sure did. Me. So well, and so we'll, we can talk about it now. Um, as far as how bad of a disaster it was, and that it, so it killed the airship industry. Yeah, <laughs> passenger airships were like, nope, we're not. That's done. Yeah, and a lot of it is because it was filmed, like oh, it, like okay. basically because it really wasn't that dead. Like airline crashes, which happen all the. I mean, relatively, you know, they're not. An infrequent occurrence, basically. Yeah. There's been many of them and will continue to be. I mean, how many people routinely die in those things? Like a hundred or more people. And you also have flammable shit on those things too. You have uh, jet fuel on them. So it's crazy. Like, are they really that much safer than airships? Is it, is it just that you saw the spectacle of a massive airship burning up is what people are like, Oh hell no. Even though, I mean, you would have a better chance of surviving an airship if, based on this one instant instance, you would have a better chance of surviving an airship crashing than a plane crashing. Like, what would you rather be in? It would um, the airship because it, it kind of just floats down. Yeah, you have a chance possibly. That is, I mean, that's that's exactly why though. It looks so insane. So, so yeah, it, it that would have killed it. This, it was the spectacle of it. And, and Herb Morrison's uh, broadcast, I think, probably was just the emotional impact of it. Yeah. Rather than how bad it actually was when you look at the numbers. Because mm-hmm. when a plane goes up in flames, it's metal, right? So it doesn't take yeah. as long. It takes a lot longer to well, burn it, up. Well, when a plane goes down, it, it crashes it. and, like, dis, like, you know, depending on how it goes down. But, I mean, usually it breaks into pieces yeah. and it's, it's on fire. It's turned to ash. And it's, yeah, it doesn't just immediately flame the whole fucking thing just turn to flame and plus they're way smaller uh you don't have this massive fireball in front of you just like holy shit look like fucking hell a portal to hell just opened up in front of you this is wild yeah so i'll mention so that's the main theory and in my opinion the most credible theory as to what happened the static charge theory yes yeah that's the static charge theory because um like we said, we'll never know because, again, because everything burned up. The whole f- fucking ship was flammable except for the skeleton of it. Um, so the whole thing burned up. So we don't have any evidence of anything. Yeah. Uh, it's just, and we just have theories. We have, and we have the footage and um, as, so as much as we can see from that. Uh, so another theory is that lightning struck it and that's what set off the charge. But nobody saw, like, the, the weather data, whatever didn't have a mm-hmm. lightning occurring in the area at that time. And also nobody reported like somebody, people would have saw that there's plenty of eyewitnesses there. Nobody reported seeing lightning. I mean, we're sort of eyewitnesses. You can see the damn fucking video. Yeah. There's no, yeah, there's, there's no, no lightning. lightning flashes. There had been there. Clearly it was a like thunderstorm. It was a stormy day, but it was not, uh, it was, and I, it was raining, I think, but there was no lightning and you definitely would have seen that. Yeah. You would have seen it. It looks different than a, f- a fire in the sky. Right, you know, there's no flashing going on, and nobody's ever mentioned it. Exactly, somebody, somebody was seen it, but what somebody, what people did see, and I'd never heard of this before. And mobsters, you can look this up if you're interested. It's called Saint Elmo's fire, and it's when the static charge it creates a like, it looks like a blue flame or something around something, and like apparently it originates from like sailors' times, and they see a blue flame coming out of the, um, the like mast and the cross part. So it'd be crazy looking, I bet. But yeah, there then there was one report of um, a guy who was on the other side of the of the Hindenburg from where the sun was, and could see it silhouetted against a dark sky. And he reported seeing Saint Elmo's fire around the top of the airship. I've heard of that before, just because I had to look that up real quick because it's a movie. I think. I think it was a TV show. TV show. Okay. Yeah. Saint Elmo. <laughs> I some, looked it Saint up. Elmo's something. It's Saint Elmo's fire. It it's St. Elmo's Fire. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's, it's a TV show. I just looked it up. I can't. Yeah. So there you go. So the next and more, obviously more salacious theory and the one that gets a lot of traction for really no good reason is sabotage. 
that somebody deliberately ignited the hydrogen to blow up the ship. Mm. And I think usually they believe it's like, it's as a form of like believing the motive to be like a form of protest against the Nazis. Cause as we mentioned, the Zeppelin had become kind of a propaganda symbol mm. of the Nazis, even though Dr. Eckner didn't want that. He didn't want it to be associated. He didn't want to be a political tool. So that's where the theory, as far as motivation comes, there have been different uh, people that they pointed out as possible saboteurs, including one of them being a guy named um, Joseph Spa. And he was a, uh, an acrobat. Like that's how he made his living, which is crazy. I don't know if people like, he was like oh, a world traveling acrobat. He was in Europe and had done shows and was traveling to New York. He to, made it. To perform. Uh, did he make it? He made it out. And the fact that he was an acrobat actually helped him. Oh, he, yeah, of course although he did still break his ankle, but he was able to kind of fall properly. But he was also bringing a dog over. Uh, they, they were carrying in the cargo hold. So he had to frequently be taken down there to feed it. And they and basically theor, conspiracy theorists uh, think that he might have been the one that set the bomb at some point when he was going down the cargo hold no. to feed his dog. i tell you this. And then other people have pointed to potential crew members being... I don't trust it. Um, you never trust an acrobat. That's one thing. That mm-hmm. is true. And that's nothing. That they say because he was an acrobat, he kind of like climbed up into the girders and shit to plant them. No, bomb. he didn't. This dude had a dog, and if he was going down there to feed it all the time, he did not set a fire. <laughs> Why would he want to kill his own dog? He would know right. that the dog would never make it. And the dog did it. die. Why the fuck would you go down there and feed your dog if you know you're going to blow the son of a bitch well, up? Well, the theory is that he used the dog as a reason to get into to get access to places he otherwise would not as a passenger. So that he could set a bomb. So what we're saying, so the theory is for conspiracy theorists is that's no one watched him. They just let him roam around the fucking thing for free. Possibly, yeah. Free, or that he did it, or maybe did it under under their noses. Or maybe they, like when they got down there, he had just disappeared all of a sudden because he jumped through the ceiling or jumped and hung on a bar and swung over to another. Well, that he, well, how, however he did it, that he managed to plant a bomb <laughs> without them noticing or or it bringing to their attention. I'm only with him on half of it. I did not trust an acrobat, but I don't. I'm not the static charge thing. That's the one I'm going with. Something happened. I'd be no, like, no well, well, that's just it. There's no, there's no evidence. It's totally um, theory driven. Yeah, and it's speculating like crazy. And in fact, when um, and they investigated Joseph Spall, and, and ultimately that wasn't the, the theory they went with was what I told you as far as the static charge. Um, but when Joseph Spall found out, they were they thought he might have done it. Uh, hit, his wife recounted like when she told him he was on a ladder fixing a light bulb or something and he fell off his ladder. Yeah. <laughs> Cause he didn't Cause he was it. so shocked that, yeah, that he was being accused of having uh, caused that. Um, and then other theories, including a 1975 George C. Scott movie, um, say it was one of the crewmen that it was secretly like anti-Nazi or was a, a communist or something was setting off the See, planted a bomb mm-hmm. as a you know, protest whatever that's a good story it's a better story it made than for a good, static charge well it know? made for an okay movie the end was good i mean because you, you got to see the thing go up it was crazy um but yeah the only the one that makes the most sense and this is the one that this is dr hugo eckner came to new jersey after it happened and investigated and this is what his theory is he completely dispute uh dismisses that it was sabotage and he thinks it was the static charge. There we go. Boom. I knew it. See, I'm not a doctor, but at the end of the day, when a doctor agrees with you, that's mm-hmm. pretty good. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you, doctor. Yeah, well, we were just reading what the doctor actually came up with as far as the reasons. That's right. But it's, <laughs> that sounded he the best. He's bound one. to agree with us by <laughs> us reading what he said. <laughs> that's true. But you know what? Thank you, doctor. Yeah. That's, and so that pretty much wraps it up. Uh, I did want to mention another uh, miscellaneous fact. Hmm. So, uh, so after it happened, people were uh, there was uh, traffic was backed up of people trying to go to the Lakehurst Naval Air Station because they wanted to see the wreckage and all that. They just wanted to see the spectacle, I guess. Um, and then afterwards, and the I guess the weeks, months, however long afterwards. Some of the locals burned their own utensils and tin cans and set up roadside stands proclaiming their wares as, quote, authentic Hindenburg souvenirs, end quote. Always. That's always New Jersey. Out there, that's baby. New Jersey, baby. How can I make a buck real quick? Burn a <laughs> so can they up. burn their own silverware or burn their own whatever utensils and I, try to go and sell. Listen. And, and then, yeah, yeah. go ahead. I mean, listen, if they can do it and people are buying it, why not? Yeah. Or, and then to go back to the Charles Lindbergh story, 
after that happened, people were selling locks of hair, claiming it to be locks of uh, baby Lindbergh's hair and Damn, shit like that. Man. Like it was fucked up. You know, I don't that even, was also in New Jersey. I don't even know. Was it? Yeah. I didn't even know that story. I just seen Raising Arizona and that I feel like they're similar stories. I've not seen Raising Arizona. Oh man. It's with great. Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Young Nick. I'm aware young of Nick it. Cage too. Yeah. That's, that's came out it's, in the 80s. It's a very good movie. It's got John Goodman in it too. Anyways. Yeah. Check out. Check it out. Check Raising it out. Arizona. Raising Arizona. But yeah, that's the Hindenburg. And there's a, just a ton of stuff out there about it. But definitely just watch the video. Watch. For sure. Watch and listen. to how, watch the, Listen to Herb Morrison recording. But also watch video just with the live audio. Yeah. It's crazy. It is crazy. Thank you for that story. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yep. Oh, yeah. Thank you for listening to uh, Sky Tannic, um, the Hindenburg disaster. I learned something today. You learned something today. Sometimes life blows up in your face and blimp slaps you. Don't let it do that. Always wait till the last second to jump out of an airship. Time your These jump. These are lessons. Yeah. Time your jumps, baby. Time your jump. Become an acrobat that people can trust. Let's change the game up a little bit. We don't have to keep continuing uh, to not trust acrobats. Is that acrobats. possible? I don't. That's kind of. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be acrobats if you could trust them. That's true. Hmm. That's a catch twenty two there. Yeah. I think we, what you have to do is get somebody everyone trusts, like a Tom Hanks. Okay. Let him become an acrobat. See what happens. You know, if he becomes untrustworthy, then we know the answer. If Tom Hanks was the captain of the Hindenburg, none of this shit would happen. Sully. 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 Sky King. Sky King. Sky King. All right. Well, <laughs> that's it for us. Thank you so much, guys. Follow us out there, macapod one at gmail.com. Email us. Tell us if uh, you got helium in your country. Yeah. You love um, have we shared that yet? <laughs> yeah. Have we shared? If we haven't, shame on us. We're we're hoarding helium, and we need you to to try it out. It's it's great. It's great. We love it. We love it here in the United States of America. People love to um, breathe it and yeah. then talk funny. It makes your voice funny. So that's why people love it here. Of course, that makes sense. Um, so for the council, I'm Josh. Until next time, stay safe out there and be careful not to find yourself in your own macabre reality. Bye-bye.